we, uh, we've been on a series on generosity, um, and I'm going to be wrapping it up today. I'm going to talk about tithes and offerings and caring for the poor. Um, but I wanted to begin this morning, um, as I prepare to talk about money, I want to do this. Many, many of us have experienced in the church and other leaders as well, but we are the church and we've experienced people talking about stewardship, talking about money under the spirit of fear, under the spirit and influence. I'm talking about the people compelling you, causing you to be giving out of compulsion or threat, manipulation. These are all illegal functions for those of us that are in the kingdom. God himself never threatens nor coerces us to do anything. Jesus, when he calls us to obey the Father and to come, he always says, if, if you would have eternal life, follow me. If you want to be blessed, do these things. If you don't want me, do these other things. He, he never says, you must. He says, thou mayest. Are you with me? But we've all had times and we've experienced, I think perhaps well-meaning, but regardless of the motivation, I'm not judging that, the application involved a coercive spirit, a threatening spirit, a manipulative spirit, a spirit of fear. And when, we're, when we've experienced that, it causes a wound, you know? It's a wound being given in the name of the gospel. It's a wound being given through the mouth of someone who's bringing the word, but in a way that cuts instead of instructs, that, that hurts instead of heals and brings hope. And so I want to say on behalf of, you know, as a minister of the gospel, as someone who's called in the equipping ministry to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, I want to say for, I want to ask for forgiveness on behalf of myself and all of those who handle the teaching and preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing the scriptures. Please forgive me and those who represent the kingdom, who have represented finances in the kingdom, tithes and offerings, in a way that is contrary to the spirit of Jesus Christ. Please forgive me and those who minister for ever presenting this in a way that's used coercement, threatening, manipulation, or fear. Will you please forgive me and those who handle the word for the wounds inflicted to you in the area of finances? Yes. And Lord, we ask that this area for our hearts would be healed. We ask that you would instruct us so that we can use your things, your way, that you would be glorified and your kingdom would come. And your will be done in our lives and on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the tithe today. And I, I want to share several scriptures with you, actually. Uh, we're going to talk about God's design and principle of the tithe. Where did it come from? Where do we see it? How does it work? And where are we now? And therefore, what can we do? How then shall we live, right, in light of the scriptures? And we know that... The Lord says this about the scriptures, that all scripture is God-breathed, and it is for teaching and for correction in our lives. Amen? 
You receive that? We, we are taught by the word. We're corrected by the word. We're encouraged by the word. And that's what it's used for when Timothy is being admonished by Paul. He says, use the word wisely because that's what it's there for. All scripture is God-breathed. And so here we have this God-breathed scripture. And I want to let the word speak for itself that we would be encouraged not by the manipulation of man, not by the cute traditions of men. And by men, I mean people. but rather by God himself and his desire and design for those of us that are in his kingdom. Amen? So the first time that we see the tithe, and tithe means tenth, by the way. Did you know that? Did you know that tithe means tenth? Did you know that tenth means tithe? And tenth is 10%. So just get those out of the way. That's the glossary for you. Tithe is tenth. I, I, it's, it's always funny. I'll talk to somebody. They're like, I tithe 5%. I'm like, well, then you, you, you five. That's different than tithe. Anyway, it's just funny to me. It always cracks me up. Just the language is funny. Uh, Here's the first time we see a mention of the tenth, the tithe. is Genesis 14, uh, verse 18. And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram had just been given this huge victory from God. And the priest says to him, make no mistake, God did this for you. And blessed be God who just did this for you. And Abram then gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time we see someone tithing. I think it's pretty important that we catch this, that this was Abraham. This is Father Abraham had many sons, right? This is Father Abraham, the father of faith, is demonstrating loving God with all of his heart, strength, and mind. And the first thing he does is he gives the tenth. And you know what happened later with Abraham? Abraham was willing to give his first fruits, his own son, the promise of God. And what was he representing at that point? Father Abraham representing Father God who did give his own son. You remember the prophetic word when he was going to give his son And God said, no, stop. The Father has provided another sacrifice, Jesus Christ. But our father Abraham, practiced by giving the tenth, proved himself by giving his very son, though God stopped him, but he was willing to sacrifice even his own son. And this is what we see as the figure of faith into whose covenant we have been grafted. Amen? So that's the first time we see it. Then Abraham's son Jacob follows in his father's footsteps after God promises to bless Jacob at the place where heaven is open. You guys remember Jacob's ladder. Jacob lays down and he sees a ladder angels descending and ascending into heaven. He says, I was at the gate of heaven and I did not know it. He woke up the next morning. He pours oil on the rock that he used as a pillow, which I just always think about that. Anyway... Uh, nothing to do with the sermon, sorry. But he, he pours oil on that rock on which he had laid his head and he makes a vow to God, Genesis 28, 20 through 21. Jacob said, if God, you will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth 
to you. I think that's a pretty hilarious picture, by the way. He's like, Lord, this rock that I used as a pillow last night is what I have to offer to you. And what you have to offer to me is all the promises of heaven and inheritance, which will result in Christ. But here's a rock with some oil on it. And by the way, anything you give me, I'll give you a tenth. I love that picture because everything is from the Lord. Can you see the hilarity of it? We have this really good father and everything we have is already his and he gives it to us. And what we have to offer is like, but symbolically, here's some oil you gave me and I'll pour it on a rock that you made. But Lord, I'll give you my heart, and it will be shown through that I will give you the tenth, the first fruits of everything you give me. I will honor you back because I understand it is from you I've received all things. Isn't that beautiful? Now, this is before the law. This is before the law of Moses. There was no law at this point. This is men who have been called by God to receive the inheritance of God through whom their children, Christ, will come to redeem all things. God's first fruits will come through these people, but they're demonstrating a life lived where you give your first fruits, your heart and love for God by demonstrating that the first fruits of my substance will be given to God. Do you see that? God then adopts this practice that Abraham started and Jacob continued before the law and he adopts it into the law. We know that Jesus said all of the law and prophets are summarized in this. Love God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your mind, all of your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We love God with all of our strength, all of our heart, when we honor him with our first fruits, because how many of you guys know your money is your power, isn't it? And we keep our heart by keeping our heart in alignment with the giver of all things. And we say, heart, you will honor the Lord with your first fruits because he is your source. And our heart says, that's a great idea. In the law, we see this. In Leviticus 27, 30 through 32. Now, I want you to catch this. God has brought his, ooh, I got a little like Doug Easterday on that one. Did you feel that? God. <laughs> With all of his syllables. <laughs> I love you, Doug. <laughs> okay, here we go. God is taking his people and he is showing them how to Love him with all their heart, strength, mind, and soul, and how to love their neighbor as themselves. And he brings this nation and he says, I am going to make you a holy nation, and you're going to be an example of what it is to love me with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus said, All the law and the prophets, everything you see there is unto loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, so that there will be love and justice in the nations starting with this nation, that people would know that I'm a good God. Can you guys see that? And that's what, you, that's what the law and the prophets are. Jesus said that's what they were seeking to accomplish. And then he begins to address then how that works. And he just lays out a civil law for how to do that, not just say, love you, Brosif, but rather to be like, here's me actually loving you, not just with words, but with deeds and attitudes so that you can have the same access to God and to a life and liberty as I do. Do you see that? That's the point of this law. And part of that is the tithe. Leviticus 27, 30 through 32, he says, every tithe of the land 
whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem his tithe, he will add a fifth to it. What does that mean? It means that if you had something that you wanted to hold on to, you could pay the equivalent of what it was worth as your tithe, but you had to add another 20% on top of that amount. So if it was worth 10 bucks, you'd need to add another two bucks, another fifth. Are you with me? And you'd give $12 because you didn't want to give the actual thing. So he's like, listen, it's fine if you want to redeem it, but then you got to add a little something to it because this is holy unto me and I want you to treat it as such. Now, this is an agrarian society, so we're talking about wheat and rye and barley and sheeps and grapes, persimmons. The Lord even receives persimmons because he's that loving. <laughs> all right. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Are you seeing this? It's unto the Lord. It's holy. And you will give him the first fruits of your grain, Deuteronomy 18.4, your new wine and your oil and the first shearing of your sheep. The first part of whatever comes into your power, authority, responsibility, control, and ownership, you're to give to the Lord because it's holy unto the Lord. That's the love God with all your heart. Are you with me? Now, I love how he lays this out because he doesn't, it's so personal, it's so intimate. He's saying, I want you to love me with all your heart, strength, and mind. I'm not asking you for what your neighbor's doing about loving me. I'm asking you about what your, do you love me, Joshua Revis? Do you love me? Not does your mommy love me. I know she loves me. I want to know if you love me. Now, what do we do with that tithe? Well, as soon as we answer the phone, they're going to tell us this is a guest caller. It's Tim Keller, and he's going to lay it out for us. Numbers 18, 25 through 30 says this. Here's what I want you to do with this tenth. He says to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of the tithe as the Lord's. So you're to bring the tithe into the storehouse. You bring the tithe to the priests and give them the tenth. And you giving your tenth to the priests is you giving your tenth to the Lord. But what are the priests supposed to do with it? Well, he lays that out too. What about them? Do they just get to not love the Lord with all their heart, strength, and mind? No, they also pay a tithe. Check this out. He says to them, to the Levites, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as an inheritance, then you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. And your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor, juice from the winepress. And in this way, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. So the priests also give a tithe because they also are to give that which is holy unto the Lord so they can love him with all of their strength. Are you guys seeing this? I love it. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest, and you must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Give me the best parts, says the Lord. Give me the first fruits. I'm giving you an opportunity to honor me with the best you have to offer to show that you belong to me and that you love me. Say to the Levites, 
When you present the best part, it will be reckoned to you, verse 30, as the product of the threshing floor or the wine press. You and your households may eat the rest of it anywhere, for it is your wages for your work at the tent of meeting. By presenting the best parts of it, you will not be guilty in this matter, and then you will not defile the holy offerings of the Israelites, and you will not die. So the tithe is given to the, to the Levites during this time of the law as their wages for working in the tent of meeting. Why? Because they're working and the workers worthy of their wages. They were to make their living from the tithes, the tenth that was brought from the people. And they themselves were to give a tithe to Aaron. So they too also got to love the Lord with all their heart, strength, and mind and honor him with that. Those who minister are to pay that tenth. And in this way, God gives, I'm sorry, in this way, everyone gives God the first fruits of all that they receive, that tenth that belongs to God, and it's holy. So this was what God instituted for his people, that you had those that were equipping them, that were doing the sacrifices, that were reading the scriptures, that were continuing to do everything that was prescribed in the law, they were interdependent with the people of God. That is, the people of God were faithful to honor him with their tenth. Then it paid the wages of those that are working in the tent of meeting and later the temple, that they were able to do the work and give their full self to that particular kind of labor and service. And they gave their tenth to Aaron. So this is what the tenth was used for, is the wages of those that minister in the tent of meeting. Interesting, right? Pretty cool. What about the poor? Well, God is giving us the law, as we know, to show us how to bring justice in the land. And this certainly involves caring for the poor. So how were they called to do that? Because we know God said to care for the sojourner, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and the poor. He's very, very interested that we take care of those that are among us, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Leviticus 19, verse 9 through 11. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither, I think I have this verse, uh, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You will not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard you will leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, I want you to leave enough in your fields that the poor are able to come and that they're provided for as well. You shall not steal is the next verse. You will not deal falsely and you will not lie to one another. Verse 13 through 15. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker will not remain with you all night until morning. You will not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. Now listen to this. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Isn't that awesome? The Lord's saying, I am your provision and I am the poor's provision. You should not care more about the poor or less about the poor than you would any other neighbor. You love your neighbor like they're your neighbor, whether they're great or whether they're poor. Isn't that beautiful? He's so smart. He should be the Lord. He's so good. 
So he continues to instruct the people, I want you to care for the poor. Now, here's an interesting thing about this particular teaching. I was reading some writings from some, <laughs> this, some reading some writings from some rabbis. That sentence was not planned. But it's uh, this, this, this area of gleaning, not gleaning your, or sorry, not harvesting the corners of your fields to leave it so it can be gleaned. You were to actually provide for the poor. So here is um, some commentaries uh, from rabbis looking at the application of this because how many of you guys know as time has gone on, we are not an agrarian society anymore. So how are you supposed to honor the principle of not harvesting the edges of your fields, of not harvesting your vineyards, not picking up the grapes that fall to the ground or the fruits so that you're leaving a part for the poor. And how would you figure that out? So here's some interesting thoughts for your, for your consideration. Uh, when you read, so, so first of all, that, 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 uh, that action is called uh, peah, is, is, is the, the corners of your field. It's peah, leave peah, P-E-A-H, peah. When you reap, then you leave, you, you break down, okay, so I, I'm not, I don't speak Hebrew very well, but uv katzrechem, when you reap, okay, then you leave in the harvest, you leave peah. Now, what he does when he's doing this is he actually breaks apart in the Hebrew. The rabbis look at this and they break apart what that is. And how many of you guys know that Hebrew has both a numeric and an alphabetic value? It's pretty incredible. And the rabbis in looking at this, and this is the tradition of the rabbis, this is the tradition of the Jews, though they have not accepted Christ yet, they're seeking to fulfill the law. And what is taught to the Jews is that you leave peah, and you make sure to observe uv kutzchem, which actually is the, 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 the two Hebrew letters, it's the value of 60. That one must leave one sixtieth at least is the minimum amount of peah. You have to leave at least one sixtieth. That's 1.66% for the poor. Now, it's interesting, too, because in this, in this teaching, that to the poor and stranger you leave them, this 160th, at least, the very next verse is, you shall not steal. Meaning, don't steal from the poor, because I have entrusted to you this abundant harvest, and you are holding the provision for the poor right now in your field. But also, to the poor, do not steal from your neighbor and take more as you glean than what your other poor neighbor also needs. Isn't that beautiful? Look at the way that God has led. Are you guys with me? I was just smiling all, all the time as I was prepping this. It's so, this is just so cool. So here, here's the uh, summary teaching on this area of gleaning and God's provision for the poor within the nation of Israel. Even though they said that Peah has no prescribed amount, one does not give less than 160th. So in other words, it doesn't say like you can't leave more. But, here it is, ideally the idea that one would be self-motivated to give appropriately is appealing, but practically people need to know that a certain level of giving is just too low. 
right? I mean, it's just, there's just a certain point where you're like, yeah, dude, come on. Like, really? You're leaving like this much at the edges of your fields? No, the teaching is you leave at least, at least one-sixtieth of the harvest for the poor. Now, as we've moved out of an agrarian society, then we have to take this principle and apply it and say, okay, Lord, if you have prescribed 1.66%, as it were, as a bare minimum of payach, then I want to make sure that I'm taking that into consideration as a person of even new and better promises. If we are here to fulfill the law, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. And all of the law is summarized in this, love God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, then we certainly want to make sure that we're at least doing the bare minimum. Are you with me? And if we have new and better promises, I would dare say, I I definitely am not looking to do the bare minimum, but I like to know where things are at. Does anybody else here like math? Right? When I get paid, I don't want my boss to say to me, well, you know, it's the spirit of the thing. This seems, this seems good to me today. It seems good unto me that this will be the amount. Like, yeah, let's do math. Let's do math. Are you with me? So what a beautiful picture of God saying, here is how you're going to pay the priests, and here is how you're going to care for the poor, and here is what it means when you bring the first fruits, is it you demonstrating to me that you love me with all of your heart, strength, and mind, and that you're honoring me, that everything that you have has come from me. And that as you do this, in fact, look at what he says. First of all, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18, warns us this, beware lest in your heart you say, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. How many of you guys are making your heart beat right now, right? How many of you are making you able to draw air? How many of you gave yourself that incredible ability in business or negotiation or art or music or whatever gift he's given you? We've all received it from him, haven't we? Amen? And so he says, listen, the way that you steward your heart in this is you honor me with your first fruits. For the first 10% is holy unto me. Give that unto the equipping ministers in the tent of meeting. Care for the poor by taking of your substance to make sure that that's in your budget. Are you guys seeing this? So this is what was in the law. Now, we're not under the law any longer. Christ has fulfilled the law, and we have new and better promises. So that means we get to give less. (laughs) We're free. Isn't that awesome? It feels cold in here suddenly. So you guys are going a different direction with that. Probably appropriate. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Let, me let me share a couple more scriptures here with you. So, so what we're seeing, oh, 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 wait, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. As we do this, okay, so Jesus lays all of this out through the law and the prophets. And then he says to them this. So he lays it out. Here's how you do this. And here's what happens. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 9. And if you faithfully... Obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. 
if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you, I'm sorry, blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, and you shall come out against, they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Isn't that beautiful? It's incredible, isn't it? So this is what the Lord laid out under the law. That's under the law. Now, we have new and better promises. You guys know the flip side of this part, right? In Deuteronomy, he says, now, if you don't obey these commandments, and then it's like a country song. It's the exact opposite of what I just read, and you just lose your house, and you go out before your enemies one way and flee seven ways, and, like, you get the botch and the itch and the drip. I mean, it's bad. Okay, so you take, you put yourself under a curse. We are not under a curse. You're, under, you're not under a curse. Whoever ever taught you that, the only time you were ever under a curse was before you were born again, but Jesus broke the curse. And when you came to him, you're not under a curse. His kindness will lead you to repentance. Amen? All right. But we have new and better promises. And under those, we say, Lord, how do I fulfill walking with you in this under the same principle that you gave? Because you certainly aren't seeking to do less now that you gave even your own son, Jesus Christ. And you're certainly not requiring less from me. I am now the temple of the most high God. Holy Spirit literally lives in me and you. Amen. So what do we do in the New Testament? What do we do there? Does it, does it all change? Is it, as I said, do we have the freedom now to do less? Do we have the freedom now to not plan? Is that what we're doing? Is that what we've graduated to? I would dare say, I hope not. Good night. I don't think scripture bears that out, nor do I think the principle of what we've seen bears that out, especially since Paul admonishes us that all scripture is God-breathed and for teaching and admonishment and correction. So I would dare say that when we look at the law and the prophets, it speaks unto what we're doing now, and it certainly speaks to how we manage those things that he gives to us. Jesus, when speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, do it all. Now, you know, the things it says about that the Pharisees is that they were lovers of money. It says that several times in the New Testament. I think that's really interesting. They were faithful tithers, but they were lovers of money. You guys know that the promises and blessing of God are irrevocable? You can be blessed in one part of your life and be invoking the, the law of blessing and reciprocation that God says, as you give, it will be given back to you. These guys were in it to get blessed and get rich. They weren't in it because they loved God. Are you with me? You and I can do the right things for the wrong reasons. That's not what this sermon is about. But I just think that's interesting with the Pharisees. That he goes, look, you need to be doing both. You're, you're doing the, the small part. Remember last week we talked about money is the kindergarten for the heart. Where you aim your money is where you're aiming your heart. 
you teach your heart through how you manage your finances because you can't serve God and money. God said that. You'll love one and hate the other. So the way that we serve God with our heart is we direct our money unto the things that he's shown us. Isn't that beautiful? 1 Timothy, this is the application then. We look at, okay, so what's the application if we're not in the Old Testament, which we're not. We have new and better promises. How are we supposed to manage this then in this new covenant? Because we, we don't have a temple anymore. And praise be to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We don't have to sacrifice. Like Jason and I have not had to like break any little doves' necks and pour their blood out. Aren't you glad we're not doing that, Jason? Right? Jeff isn't over like walking in the heifers and such. Praise God. I mean, I actually like barbecue, so I feel like I would have been, okay, anyway. I would have been awesome at that. But we do remodel bathrooms and teach people and uh, spend time and do visits and all that great stuff. We love our job, but we are not doing sacrifices anymore because thank you, Father, you gave Jesus Christ once and for all of us. Amen? Amen. However, does this mean that God has said, hey, in the new and better promises, I actually want all pastors and people that are working in the tent of meeting, as it were, to be bivocational? Has he made a provision for that? Well, we have some scriptures to inform us on how this part works. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. We are called, as those of us that are doing this, we're actually called to make our wages from y'all's tithes. It's the same principle, and it has continued into the New Testament. And we see the apostle talking about that, saying, listen, in fact, uh, later he unpacks it some more. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9, 8 through 14. Am I talking too fast? Okay. Do I say these things on human authority? Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. By the way, pretty humbling for us that work here in the tent of meeting, that the Lord's like, you know what I'm going to use for you guys, lest you get a little too proud? Ox. <laughs> Y'all oxen are going to get paid, but remember, you're to labor and to bring a good harvest and don't get too, don't get too high and mighty. All right, so this ox gets back to work. You should not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Now, at this point, he's actually talking with the Corinthian church because they're saying at that point to Paul, like, you ain't nothing, Paul. When you get here in person, you're lame. Your letters are awesome, but you talk kind of funny. You're not that presentable. And so we actually have been tithing to some other peeps. And Paul's going, what are you doing, man? I'm your father. Like, I came and planted this church, and I love you. So he's, he's actually admonishing them. But what he's saying to them is, here's the principle that God gave to care for those who are called to work, as it were, in the tent of meeting. Are you guys tracking with me? Now, he says to this, if we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So he's saying, these other guys are taking the tithe from you. And he says, shouldn't we 
be taking the same thing. And then in this situation, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. You've probably heard somebody talk about how Paul was like, well, Paul was a tent maker, and y'all need to get a job, preach, sitting around working half an hour a week. And you probably, has anybody, you've all heard that argument before? Maybe you're not a pastor, you haven't heard that argument. Well, here's the other part. In 2 Corinthians 11, 8, Paul's actually talking later to that same church, and he says, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. At that time, Paul was making a conscious one-time decision for that church to make sure and work and take nothing from them because he had a specific mandate to preach the gospel to those guys and have absolutely nothing they could say that he was just in it for the money. But he was actually getting paid by other churches to do it. Are you guys with me? He received support on there. So that, that, I don't know if you've ever heard that teaching, but there's just, you know, it says in the last days, you'll hear all kinds of strange teachings. And this is one of them that is used to tell people like, you don't need to worry about supporting those that work at the church. They need to go get a job like Paul. Well, Paul did have a job till he got thrown in prison. I hope that doesn't happen, Lord. I don't want to be a martyr. All right. Are you guys with me so far? Are you having fun here? All right. We're coming to a close here. All right, okay, and lastly, okay, so continuing the verse here. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So in the New Testament, we see the same principle that was happening in the Old Testament, though we are certainly free from the curses of death, that were present in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Covenant, it says, if you fail to do one single thing in the law, then you have sinned and you're guilty of everything in the law. This is Jesus said this, right? So, so we're not under the, the, the curse of the law. Praise be to God. But in Christ, we receive every blessing in the law. Are you with me? We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but the law is there to teach us how to live. And so we look at this and we say, okay, Lord, so what have you taught us? What's the principle here? How do we continue this on now with new and greater promises? And we still seek to honor him in that principle of the tithe. And so we bring the tithe, the tenth of our first fruits unto the Lord, knowing that his promises and his blessings are the same yesterday, yesterday today, and forever. And it is okay with the Lord for those of you that may have been hurt or may be considering like, gosh, am I actually supposed to pay people to equip the saints to do or the work of the ministry? Am I, am I supposed to do that? Like, I mean, it's a good question. You should be asking that. You should be truthfully saying like the good Bereans, does the scripture actually teach this? Am I actually supposed to still honor the principle of the tithe? Is it in the scriptures? And I hope that this morning that I've laid out for you uh, to your level of understanding, I'm confident that I've laid it out that it's here, but I'm hoping that it's resonating in your own heart. And I want you to take that before the Lord and say, Lord, have I been missing something here? Have I been missing the opportunity to honor you with the first fruits? Am I, am I actually deceived in this area and missing out on loving you with all my heart, strength, and mind by at very least doing the least? Are you with me? There's no shame in that, by the way. There are times where 
where it's the least. In fact, some people have begun to seek to obey the Lord in this, and they're like, Lord, I'm so far backwards right now. Like, I've been living in lack and not in this lifestyle of generosity. In fact, I've given almost nothing for so long, and honestly, my life looks like it. So I'm going to just start, Father, with something. And as they did it, how many of you guys know the Bible says if you're faithful in little, you'll be given much. As you give, it will be given to you. You have something that you can do in this. And they began to walk their way back. They weren't able to just start with 10%. They had to start with 5%, 4%, 1%, a dollar, right? But as they faithfully began, very quickly the Lord goes, this is what I'm trying to show you. Steward your heart towards me. Don't let the love of riches, the love of money choke out your love for me. It's so vital that we're doing this. If Jesus said, you can't love money and God, how do you know that you don't love money more than God if you don't actually, in practice, give at least the bare minimum of what was given in the law when you are free to do much more than we did under the law? And I want you to consider these things. Now, I want you guys to know you are the most generous, incredible group of people. This church is an anomaly in most churches because of the faithfulness and generosity of you. You love the Lord. And if you've grown weary in well-doing, may these scriptures invigorate and correct and help you to turn your heart back to the Lord and to be faithful again in this place and in this space. And may he increase you. In fact, here's, the, uh, here's a beautiful... I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to read a scripture and we're going to pray. I was... Uh, I've been married to my wife for 26 years. Before I married my wife, I was a incredibly funny, talented, fun, flirty guy. So flirty. And pretty fantastic at it, by the way. Like, I already, like, have never met a stranger, just friends that I haven't talked yet. And so I was super flirty. And when I started dating Karen, it took me a little while to realize how much that was a part of my whole, like, personality. And my wife at one point was like, we were on a date, and she goes, honey, I would love it if you could pay attention to me when we're on a date together because you're the worst. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I felt so embarrassed, you know? And I thought, but she's 100% right. I just, you don't think about these things, right? Until you're with a person that you love, you're out looking for the person to love, okay? So I made that adjustment. Totally nailed it, never a problem, never had to think about it again. Except for a few years later, I was on a trip with one of my brothers, and we're out at a restaurant, and we're having fun, and we were traveling together, so several restaurants and what have you. And after a few days in, my brother goes, listen, man, I know you love uh, Karen. I didn't forget her name, but for some reason, I, w I looked over at Zach, and I almost called her Auntie Karen. I'm like, but it was my brother, and so I got off track. Now you know why the look. I remember my wife's name. I feel very vulnerable right now about this story. Okay, so here's the sitch. My, my brother says to me, I know you love Karen, and I know that you, will, you would not be unfaithful to her. And I'm like, that's 100% true. And he goes, but I am trying to understand because if I acted the way that you're acting right now, if it was me doing what you're doing, there would be nothing else than it would be completely flirting. And I was like, What? And he goes, no, I'm serious. And, I was, and he goes, and I just, I'm just curious because I honestly, I know that you're not seeking to be with somebody other than Karen. But you look like a flirt. 
and I need to know what's going on in your head about it. And he was really kind, like probably way kinder than he needed to be truthfully. But you guys, it went straight to my heart. It went straight to my heart. And I, and I was like, well, I was kind of, first I was like, no, no, no. And then I was kind of like, what? And then I was mad, you know, all five stages of grief right there. <laughs> but guys, I was so busted because here's the thing. As I began to look, then I realized that, you know, sometimes, what does the scripture say? The heart can be deceitful above all things. But the word of the Lord says it goes, it's a two-edged sword and it goes deep and checks even the very motivations of the heart. And so just really quickly, what I found out what, what it was, it was not that I was actually looking for the affection of another woman other than Karen. It was, it was that I really enjoyed being that guy that could be fun and charming and unintimidated by anyone, especially if you were exceptionally beautiful. And the other people, the, the dudes at the table are like, wow, like you're so cool. That's really what it was. I wanted to be cool. I'm just admitting it right here. That's why I bring you here to confess my sins each week. That's why we take communion. But this is what happened. It pierced my heart, and I realized the motivation of my heart was off. I share that story because in the areas of finances, I believe that we find a lot of areas where our hearts deceive us, and we are afraid for our survival. We are afraid that God won't provide for us. We may have become enamored with the power and the pleasure of keeping almost everything for ourselves and our own design. And we may have found that we are flirting with money because we love it more than the Lord. And we feel that it provides for us more than the Lord. And if that's you, I just say to you, take this before him and say, God, I don't want, I don't want to love money more than you. And you've given me this principle and this practice to bring you the 10th to care for the poor. And what am I doing right now? And take that step. And, and if you want a list of these scriptures, let me know. I'll send them over to you. But I said them all, and they're on the podcast, so you could do that too. Here's the prayer. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray this over you. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And their prayers for your hearts, I'm sorry, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God 
for his indescribable gift. May the Lord bless you. May he give you peace. May he show you that he will provide for your every need. And as you do as he's called you to do, which is to test him in this area, may you find him faithful, that you would love him more than even your own life. May you steward your heart through stewarding your finances, your thoughts, your mind, your actions. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Amen. If you guys need prayer, the, uh, the home group leaders and elders are coming up to the front. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. We will see you next week.